Today's episode is returning to one of your favorite topics, which is does a limited company actually save you tax? And we start simple here by just giving you some really great rules of thumb on who might benefit from a limited company, but also more importantly, who might not. Then we get into talking about how to actually get that money out of your limited company in a tax efficient way. Uh, we start by talking about why you might consider paying yourself a salary. And if you want a full state pension when you retire, then that bit is really important. And there's something that everybody needs to do there, which is to check their national insurance record. We've been banging on about it for ages, but if you haven't done it yet, even if you haven't got a limited company, it's really worthwhile doing. We get into the detail of how to do that. Then we talk about dividends, specifically who can receive dividends? Can your family members receive dividends? Can your children receive dividends? And the mention of children pricks up my daughter's ears. And for everyone watching on YouTube and all the working parents out there, you'll get to see me juggling work. We've also childcare as my daughter joined us. And it wasn't just a cameo role, it was quite a long role. But she did well. Uh, so with my daughter's help, we also talked a bit about director's loans and a really powerful example there. And if you are a private consultant and you are not sure whether you need to charge your patients VAT, towards the end of the, the episode, there's a great explanation of who does and who doesn't need to charge VAT. And this is something that we see people get wrong all the time. So definitely check that out. If you're watching on YouTube, you are going to not only get to see me juggling childcare responsibilities whilst working, you're also going to see one of the loudest shirts I've ever seen. And if you've got any questions, drop them in the comments on YouTube and we will try to answer them there so that everybody can benefit from the knowledge. So if that doesn't entice you to subscribe to our new YouTube channel, I don't know what will. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you're probably seeing it a lot sooner than those on the podcast because our podcast coming up to a million downloads. We're doing million downloads a month. That means we have a month worth of content there. Podcast is a bit backed up. Plenty of space on YouTube. So that's why it's coming out soon. If you like it, don't forget to hit the like button and the subscribe button. Drop your comments if you're listening on YouTube. Thank you so much for the support. Let's get into this slightly chaotic episode. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. All right, on today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome back Steve Nichols from Nichols & Co, Specialist Medical Accountants. Steve, you're an old pro at this. You're also big on TikTok, right? Because you, you inspired us to join TikTok because TikTok, the financial information on TikTok is of very variable standards, I think it's fair to say. But you are on there giving out top quality authoritative advice you're also getting a cup of tea delivered to you i'm already jealous <laughs> of that level of service but you're on that's TikTok. a level of service that's a level of service at nichols and co we're always great yeah. yeah i haven't got that level of service here but anyway but yeah you're on tiktok and some people say like why are you on tiktok oh there's a lot of bad information on there and it's kind of our job to give out good information yeah, Steve's on TikTok. We're on TikTok, giving out good information. You're also looking kind of tropical with that shirt. And my shirt's a bit bland <laughs> by comparison. Talk me through the shirt. 
Okay, so I was, I was just chatting with you before. I've just come back from holiday and I, I bought this shirt on holiday and I really, really liked it. And uh, when I get sort of a shirt or a piece of clothing that I like, I tend to wear it to death a little bit. So I'm wearing it uh, I'm wearing it today. But I must say, I'm going to a client meeting afterwards, so I'm going to change into a white shirt uh, and put a tie on. Um, but no, that's that's all it is. I had a just, I've just, I mean, I haven't just got off the aeroplane, but it was away a little while ago, and I had a a great time. I was telling you, I like to go scuba diving, and they always they always joke with me because I'm always the oldest one on the boat. And um, the other thing that happens is when they say, "What music do you want?" Because I always play music when we're going out to the dive site, and I don't know any of the latest tunes, so I say, oh, "I want Elvis." I get Elvis played on the boat, and then they all they all laugh at me. I start doing my Elvis impression, and they laugh at that. So they call me Scuba Steve, and it's, it's just I enjoy. I really enjoy it though, so it's great. I enjoy my scuba diving. Uh, so that's that's the, that's the story of the shirt. I've just come back from holiday. That's the reason, really. Your shirt is bringing me joy. It's like deep midwinter here, and it's just giving me summer. <laughs> it's giving me summer vibes. So if you're watching on YouTube, go just avoid the comment section. But we are here to talk business because. A question that we get asked all the time is, should I set up a limited company to save tax? And the answer is always, it depends on your own circumstances. So I thought we could guide people on the pros and cons, talk about some topical issues. So why would you set up a limited company? Okay. First of all, I thought I'd talk about limited companies because I know you always say to me, Tommy, that you're always being asked about this. And, and so am I. I. We get loads of inquiries from doctors and nearly, uh, you know, nearly all the time, it, 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 this is a question that comes up from all, all different types of doctors. So really, what, what I'd say is, uh, why would, you know, if you're saying to me, why should I set up a limited company? One re- there's three reasons to normally look at. One reason which has disappeared to a great extent now is that it could get you out of the annual allowance pension charge. So that worked very simply by diverting income from you as an individual into your limited company. It reduced your taxable income and so could divert you out of the annual allowance pension charge. But that charge has gone up to £60,000 a year now. So it's going to capture much fewer people. And so having a limited company for that purpose is, is, is becoming less and less um, a reason to have a limited company. And another reason I'm often sort of people say to me is, oh, well, it will reduce my liability. But but actually, if you think about it, your medical indemnity insurance is the main way that you're going to protect yourself from any kind of um, negligence claim. And so whether you're a sole trader or a limited company, it doesn't really matter. That's That's where the primary protection is going to come from you as a clinician. So that's not really a reason to have a limited company. The reason really is to save tax. And that's the primary reason that we that we set up a limited company. Um, so they're flexible. And you might say, why, what, what do you mean flexible? For example, if, you, if you, you can choose when to take income. So very simply, let's say in one year, you're a higher rate taxpayer. The next year, for whatever reason, you, you are a lower rate taxpayer. But with a limited company, you could choose to take the income in the year when you're a lower, lower rate taxpayer. They would help you split the income with a low earning or a non-earning spouse or civil partner. So again, you, you'd switch the, it enables you to switch the rate of tax at which you pay from perhaps 45% to maybe 20% or 40%. It enables you to spread income around the family. So again, we're always asked about this, and I'll go through some of the basics on this a bit later. 
But, you know, you can, uh, a limited company can pay, for example, a dividend, an adult, it can be any other relative. So, you could, you know, it enables you to spread income around the family. You can also pay a salary to different members of your family or if, if you wish to do. Uh, you can pay a pension out of a limited company. Again, you may have a non-working spouse who's who doesn't have a, you know, you might have a clinician who's in the NHS pension scheme and has got quite good pension provision. But a non-working spouse might not have a, a pension. And again, with a limited company, you can sometimes make pension provision for them. That's, that can be very useful. Another reason, actually, again, I'll get a bit more detail, is if you want to make sure you get a state pension, you might want to get paid a salary. You might want to make sure you're getting NI contributions from that salary. And again, that's not applicable to everybody. Lots of people... Uh, lots of doctors are in the NHS pension scheme, but not all of them are. And if they want to make sure they get a state pension, then uh, one way to do that is to pay themselves a salary through a limited company. And again, the other thing you can do is uh, when you finish trading and you liquidate a company or dissolve a company, you can often extract funds at a very good a very good tax rate, as low as 10%. Really, the, the reason to have a, a limited company is is to save tax. So I suppose everybody knew that, but there are lots of reasons, but that is the main reason. Yeah. But, um, I mean, not everyone would save tax for a limited company. I guess that's like the myth, isn't it? That no, you set up a limited company and you're yeah. instantly tax efficient. Yeah, it is the myth. And in fact, we're, we're always asked, well, very often this is a question we're asked. I, I, I think nearly every, every time we talk to a new doctor client, probably we're asked that question. And I would say about 50% of the time, we say a limited company isn't isn't for you. And one very good reason why a limited company isn't for everybody is even if it does save a, a, a small amount of income tax or whatever type of tax, the, the costs of running a limited company and the sort of administrative burden sometimes outweighs the tax saving. And I think probably if you're somebody who is going to earn money and then spend the money in, in the, at the same time, which a lot of people are, obviously, then a limited company is probably not for you. If if you if the amount of private income that you're thinking about putting into a limited company is relatively modest, so maybe up to twenty five thousand pounds a year, then the costs of the limited company aren't aren't for you. And as I say, we we find probably half the time we're saying to people, no, the best thing for you to do is to be a sole trader. Keep it simple. Keep it. Don't incur any massive costs. Uh, and do that. I think there are other circumstances. Some, uh, I think some GPs can't uh, put, I'm sure under the GP contract, some GPs can't put income through limited companies either if they're doing sort of locum work for their own GP practice and things like that. But basically, I say as a sort of a rule of thumb, if, if your private earnings are, are, are modest, probably a limited company, the, the costs outweigh the benefits. And probably if you know, you're, you're earning funds and immediately taking them out and spending them, which, of course, lots of people do, then um, a, a limited company is probably not for you, those two general rules. Um, so that's when a limited company is not the best way to go. Awesome general rules just to get people to start thinking about could it be suitable for them? Could it not be? One thing that we get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, is taking funds out. Okay, yes. Yeah. So there's se several ways to take funds out of a company. And again, it's like all these things, depends on your circumstances. But I thought what I'd do is I'd just run through all the different ways to take money out of a limited company and just say some things about the different pros and cons of these. So first of all, you can take money out as a, a, as a salary. 
If you do that, you know, you, you'll, you the, the sort of the big disadvantage of taking money out as a salary, there's a national insurance on a salary on top of income tax. And employers' national insurance is nearly 14% now. Uh, taking money out of a salary isn't, isn't very popular. What I would say, though, is, you know, there are sometimes good reasons to have a salary. So if I just go through those, salary is only tax efficient if it can be deducted against the income in your limited company, get a tax deduction for it. Um, and to get a tax deduction, a salary has to really be paid to somebody who's working for the company and is getting paid a commercial rate for that work. So that's quite important. That's the real test of whether somebody can have a salary. So I was talking to somebody the other day, I think it was an IFA, who said, Steve, I've been told that if I want to pay my spouse a salary, it has to be the same as the salary or can't be more than the salary of the clinician that's doing the work. That was just a load of rubbish. Um, you know, the thing that dictates how much salary you can have is really the commercial rate for the work you're doing for the limited company. It's nothing to do with whether you have a shareholding or whether your spouse or civil partner does more or less work than you. It's completely irrelevant. So that's the first thing to, to bear in, or that's one thing to bear in mind. You can pay a salary, and, and often people do, to uh, to their children. We don't normally recommend you pay it to children who are under 14, but you know, certainly if you've got a 15-year-old who is working for the company and getting paid a commercial rate, then that's allowed. You can pay a salary to to somebody of that age, it's not a problem. And and you can, you know, pay it to to a spouse or to children or to anybody who's doing work for the company. It doesn't ha only have to be paid to the clinician. That's that's the thing. Now, one one thing that this is a, a, a case I came across a couple of weeks ago. I, I was talking to a doctor who we recommended go down the limited company route and, and we recommended this doctor pay, it was a lady actually, pay herself a salary. And the reason for that was this doctor was now completely private. So she's out of the NHS um, pension, pension system. She's not paying any national insurance contributions. Now, one of the first things we always ask clients in that situation is, look, do a, do a state pension forecast. Let's have a look at your state pension forecast. Mm -hmm. And this doctor, we looked at it, and I think she had to do another 20 years. That, that was okay because she was, she was relatively young and she, she was planning to work for another 20 years. And so we said, look, you've, you've got to have a salary, really, because we've got to make sure you have NI contributions and so that you get a state pension. And again, I think in the past, lots of people have been a bit sort of funny about state pension. That's not very much. But actually, the state pension is great because it's index linked. It's guaranteed by the government. If you wanted to buy a state pension in the private sector, I believe it would cost between, depending on annuity rates, between about £125,000. You know, that's quite a lot to pay. And obviously, the way you get a state pension is by making national or being credited with national insurance contributions. Again, we explained, I explained to this, this lady, you don't actually have to pay national insurance contributions to be credited with them. I don't know if you know that, Tommy. But if you, if you have a salary be above something called the lower earnings, it's getting a bit technical now, I'm afraid. If you, if you pay a salary above something called the lower earnings limit, but below the national insurance threshold, let's say if you have a salary of £10,000, at that level, you won't pay any national insurance, but you'll be credited with national insurance contributions. So you, you'll get credited with the NI, even though you haven't paid it. 
And if you've got, you've got to have 35 years of national insurance contributions to get a full state pension. That's about £11,000 at the moment. But as I say, it's index linked and guaranteed. Costs you £125,000 to buy it in the private sector. So it's well worth doing. The other thing you've got to do is, of course, is, is you don't have to, in all circumstances, have a PAYE scheme if you uh, pay a salary. So you can pay quite a modest salary below the lower earnings limit, and you don't have to put that through a PAYE scheme. However, please put it through a PAYE scheme, because if you don't, the revenue don't know you're having a salary, and they won't credit you with the NI contributions. So in, in, sometimes it's a very good idea to have a salary in a limited company, especially if you're going to set it at this level, where you're credited with the NI contributions, it's going to help you get a state, a state pension, and why not? It just seems silly not to do that. I just love the detail that we're going in. And I think the podcast listeners do as well, because that is just a great reason to not overlook the salary and some great tips about, you know, just paying the right amount of salary so that you stay under that earnings limit, still get credited. And I think all the IFAs listening will be delighted to hear an accountant mentioning the 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 pension because, you know, the state pension, as you said, it is not to be overlooked and if this doctor uh, that you're talking about hadn't got such great advice then they might not have realized this and she could have cost herself a lot of money and in her mind she'll be saving money on a limited company but if you don't quite get it all lined up perfectly small mistakes at this sort of level of income uh, mean big problems so i think that's awesome i'm, I'm fumbling here but you're going to help me but basically you and i've just done this myself you can check your national insurance record and you have oh, the yeah. option to purchase any okay. fill in the gaps uh, explain okay. that better than i did well actually that that's what we did with this lady so one of the things we always do when we take on a new client is is get them to go on the government gateway which everybody can do and, and should probably most people know about this i'm sure they do go on the government gateway and go onto the state pension section and look at what your state pension is going to be. It gives, and then it gives you details of how, how much NI you've paid. And it tells you how, how many more NI contributions you have to make in order to get um, a full state pension. Now, the lady I was talking to was quite young. So I can't remember the exact numbers, but maybe she had to do another, get another 20 years of contributions in. But she had another 20 years of working to do anyway until she reached 60. So that was no problem. She didn't have to do what some people have the opportunity to do, which I think is what you're talking about, is go back and make contributions for earlier years to make sure they get uh, to get a full state pension. Because if you're near retirement, if you're a couple of years away from retirement and you're short, say, 10 years, then although you can just pay two years until you retire, you're still going to be short eight years. So this gives you the opportunity. And I can't remember, they've just extended the deadline. So you've got plenty of time to do this now that if you wish, you can go back and pay for these additional years. And normally, it's it's well worth doing. I mean, you can always check it out with your IFA or or with the, or the, the, the pension service. The government pension service will, in theory, confirm it to you. But you need to have three days to hang on the phone to get through to them. That's the problem with that. But normally, it's it's not too difficult to work out if you pay, you know, a small amount of money now and it increases your state pension by 50 or 100 pounds a month uh, you can say yeah that looks like a good deal to me so it's just it's just something that it's not only ourselves that do this that lots of people do this when they take on a new client just make sure the basics are covered off and that if they're if they're going to need or rely on the state pension which many people are is if you've got a great nhs pension 
But, you know, it, why wouldn't you do it? Because it, in some circumstances, it's literally free money if you're, if you're getting credited with the NI contributions, but you're not paying them. It just it seems silly not to do it. Yeah, 100%. It's the advantage of me having a paper round when I was 15. My NI record is, <laughs> is like that paper round. I thought it was a dead-end job and I couldn't wait to get rid of it and become a doctor. But actually, <laughs> it turned out when you factor in the NI contributions... It was actually better pay than I thought, so I probably should have given it a bit more attention than I did. But yeah. yeah, if you haven't checked it, just go on the government gateway and just do it now. Like, why would you not? And I think the deadline, I was trying to Google it, but I think it's been extended to yeah. sometime in the summer. But don't worry about oh, that. Oh, no, no, no it's longer we... than that. It's a few years. I think it... it's a few years. I, I can't remember when it is, but it's Steve, a few years. Don't, Steve, don't tell doctors that the deadline's a few years away because they'll oh. just do it in a few years' time. Tell them the it's deadline's tomorrow. It's next week, Tommy. It's come down to next week, I think. I think I'm <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we week. know that doctors do things at the last minute, and I do as well, but... Just do it. It's worth it. It's a not to be sniffed at. So, okay. So that's one way to get the money out, taking a salary. Like quick, my summary, just correct me if I'm wrong, but not taking a salary, not massively tax efficient because you're still going to eventually get that income, a tax does income, but does have some ancillary benefits, are we going to call it? Is that a fair summary of taking yeah, a salary? I, I think so. Yeah. And again, salary can be paid to a spouse or to or to you know, children, as long as they're, you know, not too young, not 14. And yeah, and again, the NI, the NI thing is something that's just to be mindful of. When you're your age, you probably don't think about pensions. But when you get to my age, you don't think about anything else. So it's quite, it's quite a, you know, quite a big, you know, quite important to do that. And it's, it's just a standard thing that everybody should just check. It's easy to check it. You can check it while you're watching television, you know, watching Netflix, you could just get on and do a thing on it. Yeah, if you're watching us on TikTok, stop scrolling TikTok. Uh, that's not going to make you any money and it's not going to pay for your retirement. Go to the government gateway. It's a government thing. It's free. If you haven't set it up, have a look on there. Like, I don't like to praise HMRC in front of an accountant, but the software's all right. It works, you know, and you can also claim your tax rebates. You knew that because you've used the Medics Money tax rebate guide, but the government gateway, it's all right. Okay, so that's one way of taking the money out. The next way of taking money out, shall we say, dividends what are they pros and cons okay well i get lots of people have got funny ideas about dividends and they don't and lots of people you know sort of get the wrong end of the stick of things for example lots of people say to me don't i have to work in the company to receive a dividend no you don't have to don't i have to be a director or an employee of the company to receive a dividend no you don't have to for example, and that always I, really confuses me because I own stocks and shares and <laughs> I don't work for Apple, but they pay me a dividend. Oh, Apple don't pay dividends. So that's a bad example. But I always get confused by people think about that because if you own stocks and shares that pay dividends, you don't work there. You're not employed by the company. But guess what? You get a little dividend every year. Well, that's right. And people get the wrong end of the stick about that. And they, they, they just don't understand the sh- the ownership of the shares which entitles you to the dividend, is nothing at all to do in any way with working in the company, being a clinician, being a director, or anything like that. Tommy, you've got shares in Apple. I've got shares in Lloyds Bank. I wish I had shares in Apple. But, uh, you know, I've never worked at Lloyds Bank. I'm never going to work at Lloyds Bank. You've probably never worked at Apple, and you still get dividends. So the first thing to say, to make very clear to people, is having a, a share in a company and having a dividend is nothing whatsoever to do with working for the company or being a doctor or anything like that. Uh, so that's the first thing. And, and dividends are payable to shareholders. 
not to directors, not to employees, not to anybody else. They're payable to shareholders. And anybody in your family can own shares. So a couple of things I'll just say about that. Obviously, um, a husband and wife or a spouse can own shares. A civil partner can own shares. In fact, minor children can own shares, but we don't normally recommend that. But adult children can own shares. And with most, with most private um, medical companies, it's very easy to move. Why, pe- why people, other types of companies, can't move shares around their family easily is, is, I won't get too complicated, but those shares are often said to have a lot of value. And the value is, uh, the shares in the company are said to have value. And that makes it difficult to move shares around a company without triggering tax liabilities. But normally with the types of companies we're talking about, there's not very much value in the, com- in the company shares. Because of course, if the doctor who's doing the work isn't at the company anymore, the company's not really worth anything. And so because the goodwill is said to be personal, getting a bit technical now, it makes it very easy to move shares around a company without any stamp duty being payable or without any capital gains tax being payable. We don't we don't really recommend giving shares to minor children. And that's you know, it doesn't doesn't really work. The reason for that is if you give shares to minor children, then pay them a dividend that's taxed as your income, not not the child's income. And um there's been all sorts of talk you may have heard about some of these tax schemes which have been knocked on the head recently. But anyway, I won't get into that. So all I'm saying is, is dividends, again, is a, is a very good way to be able to give income to members of your family. It's very flexible, particularly with medical companies. The other thing just to say about shares, they can be very flexible. So we, we can have all sorts of different share structures. I'm sure I've talked to you before about alphabet shares. And, the, you know, so it's a very flexible way of being able to divide up income across a, across a company, across members of your family to, to obtain a tax uh, benefit. One thing I'll say that you're not allowed to do, and I am asked this from time to time, you're not allowed to do this. What you can't do is give a share, let's say, to your father in your company, pay him a dividend, and then he pays the money back to you or gives the money to you. That's not allowed. That's just that's not allowed by something called the settlements legislation and the tax rules don't allow that. You can't artificially circle money like that. That's that's not allowed. So I just mentioned that because I I am asked about that from time to time. One of the things I think we've spoken about before on the Medics Money podcast is using dividends and flexible share structures to help get income to adult children who are at university to help with university fees. So it's due to the flexibility and the flexible share structures that we're able to do that. So that's something like that. That's that's how that works. Awesome. That That is that's amazing info. I, I never thought today that I'd be talking such technical detail on this with a man in a Hawaiian shirt as the other person gently spins their <laughs> four-year-old daughter on the office chair. That is Medics Money podcast all over because I want to go in – Eve, if we're done with dividends, I want to talk about something which wasn't an option generally because of annual allowance rules, but thanks to new recent legislation changes, might now be an option for doctors. And that is doing pension contributions from your limited company, because this can be if you get this right, this can be really, really great. Talk about super technical pension contributions. Okay, Pension contribution. If you have a a private limited, if you're if you're earning private medical uh, income and it's going into a limited company 
And one of the ways you can get money out of that limited company in a very tax efficient way is to is to make private pension contributions. And these pension contributions can be made by the limited company. So it's a company pension contribution. And that can go into a personal pension contract, which is also another name for a money purchase contract. It's a defined contribution scheme. It can go into a SIP. Can't go into the NHS scheme, but it will but it can it can but you can make company contributions into basically money purchase pension contracts of all different sorts. And a, a SIP is the one that people normally go into. Uh, so that's great. That, those pension contributions will reduce your corporation tax uh, tax charge. Obviously, they then go into, let's, let's say they go into a SIP. They then go into a tax wrapper that I think most people know the benefits of that. You've you get your tax you get your tax relief going in it then's going to grow tax free and it can, when it comes out it can come out subject subject to rules subject to i mean the lifetime allowance is still um used here to to say how much tax free cash you can get out but you know in theory you can get out up to 25% tax free cash and the rest of it will come to you um uh, as a as a as an income subject to a taxable income uh, obviously, the other great benefit of pensions is it's inheritance tax free if it's out of your estate for inheritance tax. So that's that's absolutely great. Now, again, the other thing is who can be paid a pension. So if you have a family member, a spouse or, or any family member or anybody who's working for the company, and if for, for it you don't wish to pay them a salary for whatever reason, then you can make a pension contribution just as an employer makes a pension contribution for an employee in another company. So all all companies actually have to now, um, with the workplace pension scheme rules, make um, employer contributions, normally into Nest or People's Pension, and you can actually use those if you wish from your limited company. Most, most people don't, but you can do if you wish. So you can make an employer contribution for a spouse, and quite a nice combination is to have a spouse who is being paid a modest salary where they're getting credited with NI contributions. So they're going to get the state pension, which, as we said, is index linked and guaranteed. You can make a pension contribution for, for a spouse into a SIP. And again, you're getting a, you know, you're getting a tax deduction for that. So all of that is quite a nice way if you've, uh, you know, to save tax and to, and to bring and to perhaps give your spouse a pension. And when, when we do tax planning, one of the main tax planning things that I do for couples, married couples or any couple, really, uh, uh, in during you know the, their working life is to split income. So we said that one of the reasons a limited company can be a good idea for taxes is because we can split income. So if we have a high earner in a couple who's a 45% taxpayer, if we can direct extra income during their working life to a, a low earner or a non-earning spouse or civil partner, then we can gain a tax benefit. And the same in retirement. You know, if you've got a great NHS pension scheme that's going to give you a pension that's going to be taxed at 40% when you retire, then why not make pension contributions for your lower earning or non-earning spouse? Because when he or she retires, they're going to be paying tax on their pension at 20% rather than you paying tax on your pension at 40%. So again, it's a great tax benefit. It's very simple. None of the, none of these things that we're talking about are tax schemes or frowned upon by the revenue. They're just very simply using uh, common sense and a little bit of tax knowledge to advise people the best things to do. So pensions are great um, if you don't need the income to come out straight away to spend. That was the first thing I said. If you need the income to come out straight away to spend, you can't do any of these things. But if you can, 
then this is a very simple tax planning exercise that can you know make quite a difference certainly to retirement yeah pension contributions great yeah i think it's <laughs> it's it's really important to stress that this is all totally legitimate none of these funny funny you know unauthorized tax avoidance schemes this is just sensible tax planning my four-year-old daughter really wants to know about director's <laughs> loan accounts and and also loads of doctors go on about director's loan accounts and then some doctors might not have heard of them so explain it to me like i'm four-year-old and then let's get in deep on this okay first of all i'd say yeah everything we do tommy is within the spirit and the letter of the rules i don't want dan needle coming after me on LinkedIn and give me a hard time on anything I, I say. So we avoid all of that. It's just not worth uh, the aggro, to be honest. And most of my clients, I often say to clients, what one of the things that we sell is peace of mind. You know, clients don't want any problem with the inland revenue. It's, you know, heavens. So director's loan accounts, first thing to say about director's loan accounts is, again, they're completely legal. The Companies Act talks about private limited companies and the fact that a director is allowed to borrow money, that's what a loan is, to borrow money from his or her company. And again, the inland revenue are, are, are quite, you know, accepting that you can borrow money from your company. They have pages and pages of legislation and guidance that tells us how these loan accounts are going to be taxed. So there's nothing dodgy or... Um, you know, they're completely legitimate directors' loan accounts. The Companies Act says they're okay, there's a tick, and the Inland Revenue know all about them and um, tell you exactly how to deal with them. So they're, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're completely no very, very normal for a, limit, for a limited company. Now, one, 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 one of the, the advantages, again, I, I'll keep this example very simple, but one of the advantages they give you is they, they just give you flexibility. So let's just say you're in a situation where you needed money out of your limited company in year one, but let's say you were a 45% taxpayer in year one, and let's say you were a 20% taxpayer for whatever reason in year two. What you could do is borrow money out of your limited company because you need the money. You wouldn't be taxed on that as a 45% taxpayer in year one because this is a loan. It's not, it's not your income, it's a loan. So you've borrowed money from the company and uh, in year one, and um, uh, that's what you wanted to do. Now, in year two, you you want to um, you're a base you're a you're a you're a, a lower rate taxpayer, and so what you can do in year two is you can clear the loan account either by paying the money back or declaring a dividend, and you're then taxed on that money that you've now taken at twenty percent because it's now your income because you've repaid the loan account and taken the money out as a dividend. So that's just a very, very simple way to show that using a loan account has enabled you to take advantage of the flexibility of a limited company, where you've taken the money when you've needed it, uh, you've paid it back to the company by either declaring a dividend or physically paying the money back, and then you've and then you've been taxed on the dividend in year two as a uh, at a lower rate of tax than you would have suffered in year one. So this is just part of the flexibility of a limited company and a director's loan account. Have, have, I, have I explained that clearly, Tommy? Yeah, my four-year-old's wandered off. I think that means she's satisfied with the explanations. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a common thing that we see doctors or anyone with a limited company doing. So okay. that's cool. All right. Awesome. Let me, let me tell you about this case then. So this will, this will just show you how powerful this can be. So one of my, my business partners, Shadmir, he had a client 
who built up funds in a limited company through his um, through his private medical practice. And he's now retired from the limited company, but he wishes to buy a house. Fair enough. So he's now got just under a million pounds in his limited company that he's built up over a number of years. And, and also, I think he's already had some of that money. So he hasn't got a million. I think he's got 800 and he, he owes the company because he took 200,000 pounds out of his limited company. So we don't have many cases like this, but the big numbers just, just demonstrate how, how flexible it can be. So in his limited company now, he's got 800,000 pounds cash and he's got a loan that he's taken from the limited company for 200,000. And now he's retiring from from doing this private medical work. That's very important in these in this circumstance. You have to retire properly from this medical work and retirement means don't do this type of work for 2 years. That's what retirement means in this case. So he's going to retire. So that million pounds if he'd have taken that out as a dividend he would have paid probably 40, just under 40% tax on that, £400,000. But what we're going to do is we're going to liquidate that company. We're going to take his £800,000 out as a capital distribution. We're going to offset the loan account, and, th and then the loan account will count as a capital distribution. And, and hopefully we will be able to arrange for that money to come out as a capital distribution, which will be taxed on him as 10% at 10%. So the important thing to bear in mind here is one, he's got to retire. So you can't do this every year. That's not allowed. They don't allow that. But if you properly retire, you can do it. So he'll get a capital distribution of a million pounds taxed at 10%. That's a hundred thousand pounds in tax rather than taking that money out as a dividend and being taxed at 40%, just under 40%, 39 point something, I can't remember. Uh, let's call it 40%, being taxed at 40% of 400,000. So there's a material tax saving there. And this isn't a tax scheme. It's completely bona fide. And provided you stick with the rules, he's got to be retired for two years. There should be no problem with that. So that's a combination of director's loan accounts and the liquidation of a company. And it just shows how, um, you know, if your circumstances are right, you've got to have the right circumstances, that it can make a really material difference to your, um, you know, your after tax sort of income. And so he can get that money out and that, you know, if he, that'll give him £900,000 to buy the house rather than 600000 which he would have had if it had come out as a dividend and he'd have paid 40% tax on it. So it's a very, again, the numbers are very big, but it's a very simple example and it's something that we've done over the years many, many times, and we've never had any query from the Inland Revenue doing this. Uh, and it's all disclosed to them, of course, so they know all about this. And it's just a case of using the legislation in a tax efficient and proper way. OK, I think we need to wrap this one up with your top tips. OK, well, I'll just go through I'll just go through the top tips then. These are just things which I've come across sort of recently, um, which I'll, I'll just whiz through quite quickly. First of all, I was just going to go through how easy is it to set up a limited company. I'll just whiz through that quickly, if I may. So first of all, before you set up a limited company, talk to somebody like me and just see if a limited company is, is, is going to benefit, to benefit you. So 50% of the time I find it is, 50% of the time it isn't. Then get your limited company set up. You can do this yourself or ask somebody like me to do it. If you're going to have a complicated share structure, best to ask me to, to do that. 
And that, that takes days, not weeks or months. That's a very quick process. Then you need to set up a bank account for your limited company. And again, there are lots of great online banks now, Tide, Starling, all these online banks, which enable you to set up your bank account for your limited company very quickly. Then get your get your tax get your accounting software all linked up with your bank or integrated with your CRM system, if you have one. So we're very good, and lots of other accountants are very good at helping you integrate your your CRM system and your bank with your with your Zero or your QuickBooks. That makes sense. Make sure your insurers know you're now trading through a limited company, and that's not going to be an issue. And then you're up and running, and lots of accountants can help you with running those. So the topical tax tip is if you want to set up a limited company, it's not a big deal, and it can be done quite quickly. Certainly during the pandemic, it was taking months to get bank accounts set up, but that seems to have gone now. That's that. The other topical tax tips I would say is if you are, I've seen this a lot recently, if you're a doctor with a private medical practice and you're doing cosmetic work, be it hair transplants or dermatology or what might be called sort of plastic surgery, then for heaven's sake, make sure your VAT situation is correct. Um, if you're doing work which is for the protection, maintenance and restoration of a patient's health, you, you probably don't have to pay VAT on your services. But if you're doing cosmetic work, which is primarily for cosmetic reasons, then you might have to be paying VAT on your services. Please check that out. If you're not sure about it, talk to a specialist medical accountant who will help you with that. It's coming up to the time when everybody's got to pay their tax at the end of January. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to go out, but at the end of January, if you can't pay your tax for any reason, don't ignore it. You can go online and arrange a time to pay deal with the revenue online. It's very easy for up to £30,000 of tax. So that might be something people don't know about. But if for any reason you haven't got the money put aside, go and get a deal online it's easy to do and it will just save you a penalty probably it won't save you interest but it'll save you a penalty the other thing i would would advise people to do if you have a private medical income is take out some insurance which can be quite modestly priced in order to help you if you ever get into trouble with the inland revenue this type of insurance just helps you level the playing fields. The revenue, if they decide to look at you, and they can look at you if you're completely innocent and have done absolutely nothing wrong, it's an expensive and worrying time. And this quite modestly priced insurance will help you level the playing field and give you resource in order to sort of fight your corner. Um, it's very difficult otherwise if you're paying an accountant, you know, by the hour to fight the revenue. It's expensive and it's a bit of a nonsense uh, I know, you know, th these policies, which which aren't very expensive, give you hundreds of thousands of professional fee time to, to fight the revenue. And I certainly think anyone who has private, um, uh, you know, private medical income, it's well worth taking out one of these policies to help you if you ever come up against the inland revenue. Uh, yeah. And I, th that's my topical tax tips, uh, Tommy. Thank you. Steve, that was awesome. That VAT tip. Uh, so niche, that knowledge. And again, something that we see non-specialist accountants get wrong all the time. And that's no judgment on the non-specialist. It's just really, really complicated. So a VAT tip was amazing. I am now looking after a four-year-old, two dollies. You may have seen another one just being wheeled in in the background. So I'm going to have to wrap this up. My multitasking skills have ended. 
Uh, if people want to get hold of you, you're on Medics Money. What's is it go via your website? Is that the best way to contact yeah, you? Because yeah. we always get people saying, yeah. "How do I get hold of Steve?" Yeah, well, the website is Nichols Medical. But um, uh, so we've got a whole team here, and and we 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 don't only deal with medics, but we we mostly do. So any problem that you have, we probably dealt with before and know what to do about it. I think the pressure is on your daughter as well, because my daughter's been on the podcast, completely unqualified, four years old. Your daughter is a qualified accountant who works at your firm. So, you know, my daughter's been on, Steve. I know. Yeah. Well, she's, she, she won't do it at the moment because she's all loved up getting married and everything and engaged. But yeah, I've asked her to. I don't, you know, I, I think she'd be great at it because, again, she's got far better knowledge than me, if I'm honest. And um, they just put me on because I've got a funny shirt, I think. That's the reason they put me on. Steve, that was awesome as always. Quite at the technical end, but hopefully there was something in there for everybody. 